Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. I had a Jamaican stepfather. He was a, uh, I still have him, he's still alive. And very light skin, green eyes. And he was in Vietnam. And he used to tell me stories of how the other enlisted men with him who were white would tell really racist jokes around him, use the N-word and that kind of thing, because they didn't know that he was black. And uh, he was what you call passing. Now, I don't know to what extent he would eventually let them know. I just remember him telling I remember him telling me those stories when I was younger and like how it made him feel. Uh, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why he, when I was growing up, I always remember him as, I remember him having a sort of profound distrust of white people in general when, when he, uh, when I was younger and I got that sense. And I think a big part of it was probably because of the things that were said to him when he was enlisted. And this idea of passing, where a person of color, usually a black person, is light enough and their features are such that they can pass for being white. They look white. Or to uh, other white people, they don't come across as being the biracial person that they actually are. And, you know, when you think about the history of race in this country and how it's been looked at and you know the one drop of blood rule and that kind of thing it was a big deal if you would try to pass and if you're a black person trying to pass say like in the Jim Crow South or even even in the North quite frankly uh, because if you were busted for lack of a better word you could you could get killed basically <laughs> or lose a business lose friends and that kind of thing and so it's always an interesting topic to discuss and to explore. And I think, uh, you know, the movie that uh, we're going to be talking about today, or rather we're going to be talking with uh, the DP of the movie today, is called, the movie's called Passing, directed by uh, Rebecca Hall. I'm sure most of you know her from her acting work. She was in uh, Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Uh, she was in The Town. She was in Godzilla vs. Kong, versus Kong uh, Iron 3, uh, The Prestige. So uh, you know her from acting work, but uh, you know this is her, I believe, her writing and directing feature, directing debut. And it's really interesting when you think about... Uh, her directing this film because you know she is actually of biracial descent herself and you know she's someone who uh you could describe as as passing you know you wouldn't necessarily look at her and think that she has any kind of um heritage that dates back to africa it's an interesting topic to discuss and i think it's uh Apropos that this film was shot in black and white, we talk about that with the DP. And I always find it interesting when films 
that are shot purposefully shot in black and white or they're made in black and white you know this was shot with color cameras but they obviously use they use black and white lights and it was always black and white on set and obviously in editing and thinking about movies back to the artist a number of years ago that actually won best picture which was all black and white and so you know this idea of course Chandler's List so it was always interesting when uh, I get opportunity to interview a DP who did something in black and white but obviously this particular uh, movie has there there's a little bit more of a thematic meaning in the choice to shoot it in black and white and you know um, Edu um, Edouard Grau um, but his, also he's also known as Edu uh, he talks about you know, in the interview he'll talk about just the idea of how you know without that color palette to use in shooting you can get two different uh colors with similar tonalities and it's hard to tell them apart uh and so i think that's kind of neat that there's this meta aspect of the theme of the movie going on and i always find it fascinating when you can take art to that next level of meaning that goes beyond just the text but can go to the subtext and I think that's what happens with this with this film uh, here's a little piece of the movie from the trailer of Passing pardon me I don't mean to stare but I think I know you Claire mm -hmm. I'm trying to find out the history of the blonde you've brought along she's a girl from Chicago I used to know princess from Chicago Things aren't always what they seem. Bobby Dan. Lots of people pass all the time. It's easy for a Negro to pass for white. I'm not sure it'd be so simple for a white person to pass for color. So you haven't ever thought to? What? You ever thought of passing? No, why should I? Now I have everything I've ever wanted. This is my husband, John Bellew. Does he know? You dislike Negroes, Mr. Bellew. No, 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 not at all. I hate them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's jump into my interview with Edu and hear everything he has to say as we learn about how he came up as a, as a DP, the fascinating story about the first film he got to direct, which was um, A Single Man by Tom Ford and just how his career sort of like took off from there and i also like what he's i like when i asked him the question if he ever wants to direct at the end of the interview uh i like his answer um and i can give it obviously they can give it away now but it's a very interesting answer that i really respected but again as i'm uh used to saying enough of me babbling let's get to my interview now with um edu uh, the director of photography for Rebecca Hall's Passing. See you on the other side. Thank you for taking this time. Please, uh, I had an opportunity. Well, I, I, I saw the movie earlier this week. It's beautiful. And then I also was taking a look at some of your other stuff. And, you know, I want to cover just your history and everything. But one one question that I like to ask all of my guests first is, do you remember what your earliest movie memory was as a child, maybe? 
First time you saw a movie that affected you that you can remember? You know, I, I think the first movie I ever went to see at the cinema and the, probably the earliest memory I have of a film was uh, watching uh, watching John Jobsano, The Bear. The, the Bear? Cinema. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a crazy movie that my parents decide me to take to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> it's about two hunters you know, trying to kill a bear and they don't talk for the whole movie. <laughs> so it... it it, it, it did. Uh, it definitely produced an impact on me. <laughs> what, what do you think the impact was? And uh, no, no. I mean, it was like it just seems so big, so loud. The movies where they don't even talk. It's all about soundscapes and uh, and images. You know, it's it's definitely at the end. It's like it's part of the essence of cinema. You know, and so that was what that's very interesting. You know, and. and I imagine then later on I was obsessed with Superman and things mm-hmm. like that, you know. But uh, I think like um, there's always been there's always been this thing in in me that it's it's both the, between the artist and the more I like all sorts of cinema, you know. But there's always like this artistic beat that always is singing the praises to me, you know. It's always singing to me a bit more than than the more mainstream cinema, you know? So I've right. always been a little bit inclined to the more, most artistic, more authorish cinema, you know? It's always funny when I hear these stories about, like, do you think, the, was that movie, an, do you remember how old you were when they took you to see that? I think I was like around four or five. It was okay. when it came out in the cinema. I need to check when it came out, but it was in- pretty early, you know. I mean, it was like, yeah, it Do was you like, feel- you know, I mean, it was not like a middle of the day screening. It was kind of a late afternoon. Right. <laughs> late, you- yeah. And do you feel it was an inappropriate movie for your age? Like, was it a scary movie? Was it a documentary? Hmm. Do you no, remember? <laughs> it, it's a fiction, you know. Yeah, it, it was. It was not inappropriate, you know. It was uh, like a, you know, it was like you know. I always find that kids, you know, are are good to be exposed to things. I don't think right. you know, high, you know, hiding reality from kids is it's necessarily the best thing always, you know. So right. it's like a. I think it, it was good to, to go and see an adult movie so early. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I was, I was glad. I'm glad I'm glad I have that memory. Yeah. And and so then what was it for you that made you interested in filmmaking? Do you remember? I think I was a very sporty man when I was a kid. You know, I was like the classic kid that was good at basketball mm. and you know, would win all the all the medals on the running around right. this, you know, in the school, you know, that kind of thing for all the years, you know. So I was very sporty, but at some point I started getting bullied, you know, mm. and uh, not because of that, that was just, just because life is like this, you know, like right. kids bully other kids, you know, for many other, for many reasons. And then I, it's when I, I started getting a bit more introspective and more interested. And I remember my best friend, you know, that was still my best friend. And he he said that he was really into cinema. He wanted mm. to study cinema. And that kind of sparkled on me in my head. is like, wow, that sounds super cool. 
to study cinema. Right. It happened that I, I then get obsessed about it and I, I think of, uh, of studying cinema. Uh, my, my friend went to philosophy, you know, and I say, <laughs> wanted to be cinema, but the idea came from him. It was not my idea. You know? Yeah. Uh, interesting. And then, so was that going into university college when that happened? No, that was that. That was when we were twelve, thirteen. I was, okay. You know, and yeah. So it, it was a few years before, but then I was I was obsessed for you know, and then I I as soon as I could get into university, I went to the University of Cinema okay. in Barcelona, mm-hmm. which is an amazing university. So I, I joined at eighteen. You know, so mm-hmm. so yeah. I mean, it was. I was very lucky, to be honest. I was in the right time, the right place. Also because that university was created literally yeah. three years, four years before I, I joined. So it was like pretty good time. And so when you went to film school, were you were they using actual film or by then was it digital? No, you know what? I, I went to film school in, in, in an incredible period of time where, you know, we... I studied with a lot of film. We were shooting, you know, 16 millimeters and 35. Wow. But also, you know, like our first practices were with Umatic, you know, mm-hmm. and Betacam. And then Mini DV came in and we were right. shooting other stuff with Mini DV and we we're editing on computers, but also we were also editing film, like with Mobiolas and, you know, the, wow. the old, old fashioned way. So I kind of did. All of it. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I did kind of the transition into into digital filmmaking uh, uh, at the school. It was it was very interesting, but I still learned a lot of film stuff. You know, I mm-hmm. shot a lot of film. You know, so it was very a very interesting period to be to be learning. You know, I, I don't think right now there are that many schools that teach on film anymore. You know? Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. And when you when you graduated from film school, were you able to get work shooting film or doing films right out of school, mm. or did you have to work as a waiter first or something? <laughs> work your way up. You know what? I was very lucky, and I, you know, I just coming out of film school, my short film, the natural wood warning Sundance. You know, the, my graduation wow. short film as a, I was the DP, and it won Sundance the best international short film nice. in, 2000, in 2006 so uh, and also what happened is i i did a very low budget feature film without getting paid i think the whole budget of the film was you know a lot under a hundred thousand dollars right and that and that film shot on mini dv got into Cannes. you know so my, my first feature film got into Cannes. So I was 23, just left from school. My film got into one Sundance. My yeah. feature film got into into can. into can, which is amazing. Always. Yes. And I couldn't find work. You know, yeah. I couldn't find work because I was too young. And who at that time was also like, you know, there was no, you know, we're still doing VHS reels and DVD right. reels, or you know, there was not even websites almost. And it was like um, and at that point. I was, I, I, I realized one thing. It was that I'm, I was not very good at working as a, 
as an electrician or as a gaffer or as a or in the camera department, I, I was pretty terrible at it, basically. Yeah, you know, I... so so I was like, you know what? If I want to keep working and making films, I need to keep studying because I'm too young now for anyone to give me more opportunities or right. professional opportunities being paid. Even I, even I had just won those two, you know, the, those those festivals and, and those things with Ian and going to Cannes. So I went basically. I joined another film school. I, I went oh, to wow. the I went to the UK to the National Film and Television School, which I was very lucky to be accepted because they don't accept many people. And yeah, and they accepted me. And I spent two more years being able to practice learning um, techniques, uh, shooting a lot, and also improving my English, which is mm-hmm. has proven to be quite essential in my yeah. in my work life. You know, so it was. It was two more years that instead of, you know, bartending or doing, you know, like AC jobs or gaffer or electrician for music videos, I was actually shooting my own stuff. And, you know, and I was fortunate enough as well that my parents could afford it and, and, and could agree for me to go there. But right. it, it, in the long term, it also proved that I was, uh, I was an amazing, you know, film it was an amazing um, film school and it was an amazing experience for me and I learned and that really helped me when I came out of that film school then I, I already joined the industry so I'm in a way I'm one of those real these rare places that I've always been a DP I've never you know been a uh, you know I haven't bartender too much or I haven't you know I worked for a long a, long, a lot of years for free on short films you know, right. Also, I you know, I was lucky I could afford it, and my parents understood it. But I, I know it's not the common, you know, the, not the common denominator around. You know, so I was very lucky. I'm very fortunate to be supported by my parents. You know, all those years I'd be basically work for free uh, until I could I could actually get paid. You know, so yeah. And that was just after the film school in in London in 2007, I think it was. Yeah. Do you remember like what your first paid job was out of that school? Yes. Yeah, no. Yeah. I totally remember when um, for the first time in my life I got paid because I was like living as a student, <laughs> as a Spanish student in London, which is a very expensive city. Yeah. It was it was like, you know, I was sharing a room with a friend of mine, also filmmaker, also, you know, I, and we were staying a room in a shitty flat in London, you know, that was kind of the level. Of, so like, you know, like the first time I got paid, I got paid and I just like, I had a girlfriend at the time and I paid a black cat. I could afford to pay a black cat, you know, I was like, <laughs> I, I even took a photo with the, with the cab driver, you know, right. I took a photo with, it was the yeah. first time after living three years in London, it was the first time I, I could pay, I could afford a black cat, you know, in London. So. So yeah, it was kind of a, it was a kind of an event. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what was the job? I did a, yeah, I, you know, uh, it was a, like a BBC TV pilot uh, mm-hmm. that we did uh, with with Paul and Wynn, the director. You know, he, he was very brave to get a 25, 26 year old kid from film school to shoot his pilot. And right. actually he was, he was amazing, and I and I adore him to this day. You know, he's a very kind, 
you know, amazing guy and who was not very good. And I actually asked him what was his uh, perfume. And I, that's, to this day, it's the perfume I'm wearing. So <laughs> I, gave, I, I gave him two credits, you know, choosing my first paid job and, and the perfume. So not bad, not bad. Not bad, not bad. So, I mean, you know, when, you, when I look through the, you know, the list of films that you've had an opportunity to um, be a DP on, you know, you know, it's pretty impressive. A single man and then buried and suffragette, boy erased, and, and we're going to talk about passing. What was, do you remember, like, the first maybe big break you had to do? like a higher a higher profile feature film do you remember what that story was like oh yeah i mean uh, i think the you know the thing that changed completely in my life and you know all those things that we've been talking about were meaningful and it was already going very crazy and fast but what changed totally the gears and the speed of of my trajectory was a uh, single man you know mm-hmm. like being chosen by Tom Ford, a fashion designer, an icon, you know, to do, to photograph his first movie with my favorite actress, Julia Moore, right. and Colin Firth, you know, it's like, oh, it completely changed my life and it completely changed my career. I was doing, you know, low budget short films in London. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I was lucky, a commercial here and there, you know, and suddenly I was giving a, you know, a, a low budget movie, but in Hollywood, you know, shooting right. in LA, Huge star shooting at 35 and, and and a high profile movie, you know, it was not, you know, it was it was mm-hmm. for, you know. Right. And that happened in the most random of ways. Like sometimes things like that happen, you know. I was on the line of a cinema at 12 o'clock at night in the Edinburgh Film Festival, thanks to a documentary I shot in the Arctic Circle with a friend of mine. And and I start talking to the person next to me on the line at the cinema because we were both alone watch, going to watch a surprise film. Right. You know, and, and she happened to be a producer and who had uh, Chemi Karasawa, who had an amazing film, uh, Billy the Kid, in the festival. And, you know, and we just became friends from that day and we, we kept chatting for a few months. And after getting an offer from a movie in Spain, and declining just because I didn't feel it was for me that movie. Yeah. Although all my friends were against uh, me on that decision. I went to New York and I met with Chemi again. I gave him my reel. And it happened that two weeks later, she received a phone call from her friend, uh, Tom Ford's producer. Wow. And saying, say, hey, Tom Ford is, you know, is looking for a DP. He cannot talk, you know, he cannot find anyone that he likes. He's seen everyone's real in LA and everyone is, and he's looking for someone young, European, bold, cheap, available, fast. <laughs> and, and she was just like, um, oh, this guy, you know, you might consider this guy. And she sent my real, my shitty, you know, real with, you know, done with um, short films and low budget, 60 millimeter, out of focus, grainy, mm-hmm. poetic stuff. And he saw something that he'd never seen it. So he just said, I want this guy to do my movie. So That's... yeah, and I, I, I just said, oh, let's just Skype. And he's like, no, 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 you, you know, 
he wants to meet you in person. So I flew to LA for the first time in my wow. life. Wow. Got, got off the plane, got on a, you know, on a limousine to the hotel. And then I woke up the next day, had a meeting with Tom Ford. And after five minutes, he gave me the job. That's amazing. What it's, hotel it's, was it? I don't know. It was a Burbank City Hotel. And oh, interesting. Yeah, but it was like, it was that production that put me in there. But like the thing, the funny thing was that then, yeah, I mean, I was in the right time, in the right place with the right person, you know, because obviously there's not many first-time directors that can choose a first-time DP right. to do their film, you know, and such a high-profile film, you know, and such an important film. So it was like, it was just Tom Ford just you know, fell in love with what he was seeing in my reel and he saw something special and he took the chance on this 27-year-old mm -hmm. DP from Spain. Right. You know, that didn't have, I didn't have a visa. I didn't, I didn't have, you know, I was not part of the union either. So it was like, it was a massive break for me, you know, shooting on 35 with Colin Fur, Julian Moore, you know, a 23-day wow. shoot, very fast, but also in LA with, amazing, with an amazing crew. So it was like, it totally changed my life. And suddenly, all of a sudden, every single, you know, production company, every single director had seen, the, you know, Tom Ford's movie. And even right. also, like, it also changed my financial situation because all the commercial companies saw it as well because they are all obsessed with Tom Ford clothes and glasses. So right. they also, and they were like, oh, who's this young kid that yeah. Tom Ford chose to do his movie? So here, here I was, and I, you know, and I, and I was very happy to be given that opportunity. I also was naive enough and bold enough to take a lot of risks and take, you know, and and do things not the usual way mm -hmm. in Hollywood. And that also was also that made the movie also special. And you know, obviously, when you have a visionary director like 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 Tom. It, everything comes together and everything it's it's easier for for the people around him you know is there any do you remember what one of those things that you did that was sort of different or it went against the grain that you mentioned back then <clears throat> yeah i mean like it was like a, a lot of different things but it was like it was that getting that look from production saying oh you're Spanish. You don't know how things are done, you know. Mm -hmm. And it, and and it's and, and look, I'm now immersed in how things are done. You know, right. I understand now, and I know how things are made here, and you know the rules of the game. At that point, I didn't know, and that was kind of also very beautiful and mm. very very refreshing as well for yeah. for the people around me. You know, I, I remember, you know, both Tom and me and myself, we, we just didn't belong to this world of making movies in Hollywood. So right. we wouldn't follow the rules exactly, you know. And I, and I remember, like, you know, the way, I, you know, I was so out, out of the box naive sort of thing that I would just, just say the things without digesting and i'm spanish i'm very honest very sincere guy so mm -hmm. i would go straight to the point and they would be like what he's saying that you know and it's like <laughs> yeah and it's like oh maybe it's his english maybe it's his english and it's not <laughs> right and and sometimes with you know with that combination i just like i mean sometimes the 
rules and the way things are done have a reason. And I'm sure mm-hmm. they do, but sometimes it's also beautiful to break them, you know, to not, you know, not take them for granted and just explore new venues, new ropes, new, right. new, you know, new ways of doing things, you know, because there's always something that can, you know, improve, that we can grow, that, you know, that, that, that can be different, you know, and, and sometimes it's better or sometimes, you know, sometimes not, you know, so it's yeah. like, I think it's like, you know, there were a few very bold decisions on a single man with the color, with the green of the film, mm-hmm. with the, some of the shots, you know, and some of the texture we, we, we play with and, and the kind of lighting we did as well, you know, that it's like, it's still, and compositions that they still hold up to this day and they were not the usual way. We had to fight against the current to, to make them that. And, and I think that's a, you know, it's something I, I'm always proud of is when, when I make bold decisions, when I take risks, when I, mm-hmm. I go to bed and I'm like, oh, maybe I took too much of a risk, but yeah, it was the right decision, but yeah. also it's so fun. And these are the kind of things that excite me, you know, and I always say that I keep losing hair with any bold decisions because <laughs> I suffer. I suffer and now, look, I'm getting bolder, but that's a good thing, you know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a good, you know, I'm, I'm not in the safe state of like, oh, that's how I, you know, I do it. I, I just, the bolder, the riskier, the more, the more it excites me, you know, so, mm-hmm. uh, and I, and I've also learned that, you know, you have to make an imprint on what you do. You have to make, you know, push yourself as much as you, you can and, you know, and not take anything for granted and not go the usual route because that's not going to, you know, that's not going to expand you. That's not, that's not going to make you better as an artist, as a filmmaker, you know, you, you just need to push uh, the boundaries, you know, and that's, you know, that's all we try. Yeah. You know? No, I love that story. And you know, you you were talking about, you know, one of the things they said is like, you know, maybe it's his English or whatever. I was going to ask you, <laughs> um, how how good was your English back then? Did you were you fluent uh, in it? Were you still kind of learning yeah. it? No, no, no. I, was, I you know, I was living for three, four years in England. You know, so it was like uh, my English was was pretty good. You know, but I I've always had this accent, and also I had the you know, it's it's kind of. I wanted to keep my accent. Yeah, I, I, I didn't. Some of my friends fought very hard to lose their accent, but I didn't. I was like, I was like, you know, I think it's a. It describes me who I am, where I come sure. from. I, I don't want to pretend I'm someone else. You know, no, there's like something. That. You know, there's something just, just an honest and sincere about, you know, about my accent. You know, and it's like peculiar, and some people take the piece, which is fun. I also laugh at it, and it's also. Mm-hmm good you know uh, that people laugh at it so it's all um so yeah my english was good enough but also coming from england coming from spain and you know america have their own ways of saying things so yes. i would say yeah. them slightly different you know right. with a spanish accent and a 27 year old kid you don't know if he's talking for real or not you know right so it's like there was a little bit of of you know, Jiggy Jaga to make myself respect mm-hmm. on the film set or like, you know, and or that or that feeling that oh is is Edu, you know, does he know what he's doing? But mm-hmm. he's, he's very he's very young to be doing what he's you know, also 
let's remember that you know now we're more used to see new young DPs. At that time, you a young DP was a forty-year-old DP. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you know things have changed in the last fifteen years. You yeah, know? Like it's, it's for good, you know. But it's 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 like that. It, it used to be very hard to 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 be a DP mm-hmm. under you know you know under forty sort of thing. You know, it's, yeah. It was, so it's um, so I was very 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 lucky as well. You know, so because I was given that confidence by a top guy. In the in the world, you know, in the mm-hmm. world of visual. so so that that really helped me, and that really kind of you know, set set my career apart. You know? Yeah, and you said that film you you shot that movie on film. Yeah, it was thirty five mil. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, with Panavision lenses, it, it was amazing. It was like you know a chance of a lifetime. You know, it's like you know shooting. On film with Tom Ford and, and and all those amazing actors and such a visual piece as well. And also, we were not afraid of grain. We we used the last the last ever movie shot on the on the old and um, fifty two seventy nine film stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was us, you know, in, in LA uh, with a single man. It was kind of a very green. This is the new film stock that had less green were coming up and so on. But we like that green saturation, mm-hmm. that contrast that that seventy nine had that was a, a little bit more powerful and striking, and, and the reds were very strong. So it was kind of right. Uh, you know, it was kind of a bold choice, but there we went. Um, today, when you're thinking about uh, shooting a project. Do you personally have a preference between like film or digital? You know, I think the beauty is to be able to, to be given the choice and to be able to to choose. You know, I think there are movies that I am very happy to have shot on film. There are movies that I'm happy to have shot on digitally. I think it's every movie has its own language, its own you know pattern of you know how you want to shoot it. What 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 is what what is the result you want? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's important to have the choice and to adapt to every movie to tell the story in the best possible way. And sometimes you need to shoot digital because, you know, this, the lighting or the, you know, the setups are super complicated and you want to have, or sometimes, or you have to do a lot of takes or improvisation or, and, and, and budget is not allowing for film. And sometimes you just like, the painterly quality of film is more important than you know doing you know, two more things, and mm-hmm. and you know it's like it also comes down to the aesthetic of a director or a DP and and, and what film is you know we're talking about and, and the budget. You know, I, I think there are benefits from both sides. It's it's beautiful when you can shoot film, it, and it can be amazing when you shoot digital. You know, and they all have their own little. You know, tricks and little details, and you know, and the, a different skill that requires to to make them shine in a different way. Right? Yeah. Well, I think that's a good transition to passing, which um, it's in black and white. So, did you shoot it in black and white, or did that was that added in post? Well, I mean, it's a complicated thing. I mean, like to say, I mean, not complicated, but it's like we shot on digital cameras that, sh- that are color. 
Right. You know, but we never we never saw an, an image in color. Right. You know, like, like it was always on set. It was black and white. Every single monitor, every single edit. We mm-hmm. never we never seen a, a, a color image of passing right. in a way. You know, like I mean, we, 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 sometimes it will just, just come in by mistake, and we'll right. be like, oh, <laughs> you know, so, sur- yeah, you'd be surprised. The devil, the devil. You know, right. so um, you know, but then so yeah, so it's like yeah, we shot on on our color cameras because the black and white cameras, the digital black and white cameras are are not up for you know, they're, they're not as good as the color ones. Sure, basically. sure. So and which cameras? Than, which cameras yeah, did it, you shoot on for this? It was Alexa Mini, you okay. know, and, you know, like the the old, not the not the new LF, the old one. It was like we were shot two years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it was uh, Alexa Mini with long monomorphic lenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, which that that was also a, like a very interesting decision, you know, because uh because we're shooting a box in Yeah, that's my uh, next question. As per yeah. ratio, which is a four three, you know, old right. school, you know, thin uh, TV aspect ratio for three, and, and and you know, after looking at a lot of the recent or old films, we felt like because of the aspect ratio, you always shoot the spherical, and suddenly we're like, you know, what happens if we put an anamorphic lens on a four three, you know, and then you crop the. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we did a lot of testing, and then suddenly we discovered these old Russian 1970s lenses that mm. were anamorphic, that were totally different and special. And that's where, when we fell in love, and when you fall in love, you fall in love. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens. We fell in love with these lenses, and we shot, you know, the movie, you know, in a very unorthodox way because, like. You're shooting with a 3.2K camera uh, and you are using anamorphic lenses. So then you're cropping the sides. So basically, effectively, you're only using 1.7K mm-hmm. of the resolution of the camera, which is against everyone's standard right now. And it's all, you know, it just seems like a, you know, totally crazy to do so mm-hmm. in the digital age where everyone is obsessed by the case. Right. Four Ks and six Ks and eight Ks and it's like and it's like and it's exactly the opposite way as we went and we're proud of it. We are like, you know what, you know, case doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. A beautiful image is a beautiful image and doesn't you know more resolution, more 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 crispiness doesn't make it more beautiful or 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 that or it tells the story better so for us it was a it was a crazy decision based on you know on on the roots of what we think that is like you know the images don't don't need to be too crisp we were looking for a more painterly more poetic more a less a less um, prescribed image, you know, because we're right. tired of seeing the same image again and again. And although mm-hmm. our film was already black and white and 4.3, we also discovered that a lot of people shooting black and white, they don't make the choice on the lenses because they're already shooting black and white. And they are, so all the, all the movies shot black and white 4.3, they look, you know, in terms of lensing, they look very, very similar. And our choice was just setting it apart, shooting anamorphic, shooting it differently, 
and you know not caring for the K and caring for the painterly quality and the way the bokeh you know, and out of focus you know um, just describes the the place and the characters you know so for us it was very important and it was like a bold crazy decision that probably wouldn't be allowed nowadays to do because we were an independent film uh, self-finance and we could do it and we can you know we we actually took that gamble and you know mm-hmm. and we're happy to you know we're happy to say that everyone sees it and no one realized that it's 1.7k but it, they all see an and strange beauty on the images so that's what we were looking for you know and the cropping that you did is it something they did in post or did you use mats or something when you actually shot it so you shot it cropped or did they crop it in post no no you shot like full aspect ratio just because you know there's nothing to gain by cropping it you know like you yeah. put, you, you shoot the whole thing and then the one of the beauties of that is that you can reframe a bit later, you know. You yeah. Can, you know, just like you know, just that makes go sense. Go a this way, you know. So, yeah, yeah, that totally makes so sense. I'm a bit obsessed with framing, and you know, and so I do touch it a lot. So I, yeah. I did a lot. I did a lot of reframes afterwards of, of things that oh, you know, on the day you think one thing is better, but then you're looking it back and the way it's edited and the way you know it's, it's oh, you know what, let's do it like this, let's do it like that. And, or think imprecisions in the camera that you know you would be the one in them and you know and now you can solve them you know so yeah you know it's it was a fast-paced uh, movie and we had to do what we had to do to achieve the schedule and you know mm-hmm. uh, that we had and the budget we had so it was like a, you know we all try our best we did a lot of amazing stuff but mm-hmm. some of the things are you know if you can correct them in pose you you utilize that tool to, to make them better yeah uh one question i always like to ask dps when i interview them is your preference for for this project did you use primes or zooms or both and do you have a preference between yeah no we used we didn't have any zooms uh, and we only used primes yeah we only use anamorphic primes and because it's it's zooms are amazing. You know, my previous film was all on, you know the way back was all shot on on zooms, and I love them. But it's you know every 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 movie it's tools. You know, and I thought mm-hmm. you know passing was a, a lot more quiet, a, a lot more precise, a lot more you know static in a lot of ways. Movie, you know, mm-hmm. so it was like more contained and more you know so you know primes. And those primes we were looking, you know, we looked and we decided on are so special that like you will never look, find a, a mm-hmm. zoom as special as that. Yeah. And zooms are a lot more middle ground average in, in general terms, you know. So, right. and, you know, they are handy and they are easy you know, sometimes to shoot on them. But, you know, it was not the right thing for this movie. You know, so. And for a movie like this, when you're, what kind of things you have to keep in mind when you're shooting for something that's going to be in black and white versus color in terms of like how you're lighting it and how yeah. you know do you shoot open do you change it based on the light like what kind of things do you take into consideration i mean at the end of the day it's the same thing you want to do a beautiful image and tell the story with the camera and the light you know but then there are a few differences First of all, I think, you know, black and white, it's a lot more soulful. You know, mm-hmm. it has a, it's, it, it's a lot more striking 
and it's kind of because it basically it strikes off the color and it just it's the soul of an image. It's like the mm-hmm. light and shadows. That's what you see. You know, there's right. no destruction and there's no joy either of the color. It's just like so. It's like so you have to take that into consideration. And then what happens is also that the things that would never work on color they do work on black and white. So generally speaking, I would say it's, it's easier to make something look good in black and white than it is mm-hmm. in color. Mm-hmm. You know? But um, but at the same time, there are things that don't work. For example, you, you don't have color separation. If you're wearing, the, if the actor is wearing the same shirt, the same color or the same tonality as the, as the background, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't work. In, in color, if you have a red shirt and a, you know, green, green, a green background, you know, they get separated by right. the color. Like in, but in black and white, they don't. They look yeah. almost the same color if they are the same tonality, you know, the same, the, the same level of, of darkness, you know. So it's, um, so it's an interesting thing, you know. And, and, you know, there's all these theories that you need to put backlights and so on. But I think it's, that is a bit of an old-fashioned way of understanding black and white. I mean, I mm. think... There is a simplicity on the black and white image. There is a purity that is amazing to watch and to mm-hmm. enjoy and to kind of emphasize, you know. And there is a, a simplicity that is, you know, in color, it's you are looking for more elements to help you. In black and white, it's light and shadows, and it, it was so convenient for us because it was also so much the telling of, of, of our movie, you know, mm-hmm. our movie is about colorism, it's about the shades of white and black, yeah. you know, and, and in, in human faces. And, you know, so it was important for us to tell that story uh, without color and, you know, and where removing the color kind of made more the point of what mm-hmm. we were talking about, you know, and, and it was easier to, you know, to, to, to talk about that without color. So it was mm-hmm. it was an idea from the first time, you know, from the first go of Rebecca to shoot, you know, she as she was writing the script, she was like, oh, I want to shoot this movie in black and white and for free. And she never moved from it, even though she, she got offers to make it in color for a bigger budget. She was like, no, I wanted to make it in black and white. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's, it's beautiful when you see visionary committed directors that they want to do the things in one way mm-hmm. is that also tells you that they are someone that they have a strong powerful you know way of seeing the world and that mm-hmm. normally is also uh, a very good indication that, uh, of a good movie you know how a good movie can be done you know it's like with the strong voices that they have very clear idea of what they want to do and how they want to tell the story you know so um so he and rebecca wanted to do you know a movie in black this movie particularly in black and white and for three was like music to my ears it's like a mm-hmm. joke for any dp you know and it, it just made sense it made it was so ignorant to the to to the story to the narrative of the film that it's also a, a treasure for a director of photography to be given a movie, you know, where you know where the light and the, the light and the shade 
um, tell the story, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it doesn't happen very often, you know, I mean, and it's like, uh, and, and here, you know, it was very important, the, you know, all, all the different shades of light and darkness were very, very important to tell the story, basically. Yeah, I, I think it's so funny. People won't be able to see this because it's a podcast, but the light behind you on your wall <laughs> is so beautiful. The way it's shining through the light, it's like yeah. it's a perfect I, lighting for a DP. I, I know, I know, I know. I, you know, it's I, to be honest, I'm here not because of the light, it's just because I mean, uh, you know, it's the spirit of my life that it's you know, we're moving houses and it's a little bit of a mess. So this is like a clean. And, no, it's perfect. You know, it's like, background with yeah. an amazing light. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you can see the shadows of the pane windows, and it's it looks like God kind of shining. Yeah, yeah. I might have to take Thank a you. screenshot, include it in the blog <laughs> post. Um, when you're preparing for a, a project like this, or any project really, do you go through any kind of process for inspiration to prepare for shooting it in terms of getting ideas for like the look of the film or getting your head space in some place that'll kind of guide how you want to light it or how you want to do it? Like, do you do any kind of preparation for creativity or inspiration? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I'm, you know, you look for references, you watch all the movies that, you know, the director, uh, you know, or the production designer or the costume, you know, they've used for inspiration. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you, you look for your own kind of inspiration. You look, in weird places sometimes you look in books you look in galleries you go to art shows and you, you even listen to music and you know and find you know inspiration that it's kind of it will kind of shine a light on what you're looking for and i always find it you know a very rewarding a very beautiful time and and sometimes it's all very random you know sometimes mm-hmm. it's for a movie you know i remember on tom ford's movie the inspiration came me going to the bathroom and while being there was a photo in the bathroom that was like, oh, this is amazing, you know what I mean? Right. And, and, and that was my reference and main reference for the movie was that picture, you know, and you know, and you never know, sometimes it's a book, sometimes it's a magazine, sometimes, you know, and and, and I think, and, and sometimes it's your history, you know, mm-hmm. your I mean, a, a past experience or a past and thing that you've seen or you know experience that it, it also comes back to you and that's like kind of the feeling you want to transmit so i think you know it comes from all different places and you know it's from movies it's, it's from you know, it's from all sorts of and it can be everything and sometimes it can be a conversation with the director or sometimes it can be you know so you know you look for hints you you know like even sometimes it's good to just you know even sleeping can come you know like mm-hmm. stuff, you know or like or, or drunk or like stone you can get an idea and it's like oh this is good you know what mm-hmm. i mean because uh, this, when you're preparing a movie you are like also so kind of eager to to your eyes your heart is so open to learn to get into that you know that particular film experience that you know, you, you are kind of looking for inspiration everywhere. And I think I always find it beautiful, you know, to 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 not look for in the conventional places, but just, you know, let it find you, you know? And, I, and sometimes it's very early on, and sometimes you are, like, already, like, 
on the third day of shooting when it's like there's a click in your head it's like oh right that that really is what the movie should be you know mm-hmm. so it's like it's, it's a process and it's like and it doesn't you know it's, it doesn't come when you want it it comes it appears you know? right yeah. yeah was there anything like any stories or anecdotes that come to mind on on this shoot either challenges that you overcame or something that happened that was a really good lesson for you in the making of this film yeah, I mean, it's, it's always, it was the first time I shot in New York, and obviously in New York, it's a very peculiar city. I've shot everywhere in the world, you know, uh-huh. and, you know, but New York has its own rules, and its own way, all, all, you know, particular ways of dealing with the film industry. So it's, it's always hard, you know, when you, you, when you shoot in a city that it's so used to filming that they, you know, they take it for granted. They, they don't appreciate it sometimes, you know. And, and I found, like, the New York crews as good, uh, you know, happy uh, of what we did was, you know, they are, they are hard to work. They are not, you know, they are not as easy as other places in the world, you know. They are so used to filming. They, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a very peculiar crew, I would say. Obviously, you know, I've shot commercials there, but never shot a movie, you know. So, um but it's like, I thought New York, as much as I love the city and I love the experience and look, I love the crew we, we got together, but it was difficult to find them. And it's, a, it's, it's never, it, they have a different approach to filmmaking than I'm used to, you know, mm-hmm. than I'm used to in LA or used to in Europe. You know, they, they have their own ways of, you know, of, that's how things are done in New York. Right. You know, yeah. and again, you have, you have to learn the the rules and break them again. You know, so you are, <laughs> yeah. but it's it, it's a process. It's a process, and I find them. And passing was very challenging process uh, because it was like a first time director with a, not a huge budget. Mm-hmm. You know, a, not a lot of time of prep. You know, uh, shooting in New York. There was a lot of things that came together and that were kind of tricky. You know, and uh, you know. Every movie, it's never easy. Not a single movie I've done, it's easy, you know. But right. it, was, um, it was one of those that was like, oh, you know, and you have to overcome, you have to learn, you have to make yourself, you know, find your collaborators and the people that you surround yourself to, you know, as good as you can and, you know, and, and, and find the beauty of the film, making a film as difficult as, as it can be. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, you always find people that are willing to help you and those are the ones that that you want to surrender yourself with so it's a you know i think filmmaking is a team effort is a team it's a collective it's a collective a collective effort to to make something together you know Mm -hmm. it's not one person or another it's like so so you need everyone you need to make a good image you you need you need almost the whole crew to make it happen you know you, you so it's like um so so you need to bring them into your side you need to kind of grow from there and and, and tell them what you want and what you expect mm-hmm. from them and, and push them and push yourself and be better and learn from your mistakes and, and be better so i think that was a a great learning curve, you know, for myself and, and, and us as the crew, you know, as well. You know, mm-hmm. just, 
It's like you, you just need to learn the, the things that will make this movie better and, and, and get stronger around it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, as you're getting to the end, I wouldn't be respectful of your time, but there were a couple more questions I want to ask you. I think you can yes. get to relatively quickly. Uh, the first one was was just, you know, I'd hate to not ask you this question. Like, advice that you give for aspiring cinematographers, people who want to work specifically as a DP in this business, is there anything that you like to suggest to them, either that they... I, I think, you know, I always think that this is not a job. Hmm. This, is a, this is not, you know, this is a lifestyle. You know, being a filmmaker, being a DP, it will change your friends. It will change the way you see the world. It will change your schedule. It will change, you know, the, you know, what you do for a living as a normal, you know, your everyday life. It will change the way you live. Mm -hmm. Your relationships, it will affect you massively. So I always think that it's important to be aware of that for the good and for the bad. You know, it's like, it's such a, it's such a commitment to be a, a, a director of photography. It's such a, a, you know, such an important imprint in your life that you have to be very passionate. You have to love it a lot. Mm. You know, I, I still think it's the best job in the world, but it's it has to come from passion. Mm-hmm. It has to come from you know really wanting to do something. And really having that thing inside you that tells you, you know what, I want to be a DP and that's that's all I want to do. And, and I found that all the DPs or most of the DPs, I would say all the DPs I met that they were really, really passionate about what they were doing. And that's their life. And that's the way they see the world. That's every single minute of their lives is around being a DP. It ends up working out. One way or another, it tends up working out. You know, mm-hmm. the guys that hasn't worked out for me, or that I know the best, you know, that I know that hasn't worked out, is because it was not in their brain. And at the first, there's going to be failures for sure. There's going to be very difficult moments. Uh, but you know, you cannot stop. You know, like if you're passionate, it, it's like you keep going. You keep going. It's and it's if you love this. It will, it will, it will pay back. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that most of the cases I know, it's, it's, it pays back. You know, it's like one way or another. We, we all want to be in a better position than we are. That's always the case. You know, we. But um, but uh, I, I know a lot of very passionate DPs that are very happy. Mm-hmm. You know, let's put it like this. You know, um, yeah. It, it's not easy. It's not easy. But if 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 you can overcome. The difficulties uh, with passion, with love for filmmaking, and then it's a beautiful, beautiful job. Yeah, yeah. Now that's a common answer I've heard from filmmakers I've interviewed over the years. Is just that they have to do it. Like they just, it's it's in there. They would die if they couldn't. They feel like they would die if they couldn't make films. And exactly. that's definitely a common theme I had. Yeah. Um, do you have any desires yourself to be a director? As opposed to a DP, you know what I've been asked this a lot of the times, and I, sure. you know, and I and I did, uh, you know, I've done a few shorts as a director, or even a few commercials as a director, you know, and uh, and it's 
and I could do it, you know, I, I could do it. Uh, you know, some of them have been successful, but it's at the end of the day, I put it like, I'd rather be helping amazing directors as a DP than being uh, like an average director myself. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, like when you, you know, I was not an amazing director. I was like, oh, okay, you know, I can do it because I, you know, I've been right. in this enough and I, you know, I have passion, I have visual ideas and so on. But, you know, when you work with an amazing director, you also realize that it's, it's a different thing. And I yeah. don't have that outstanding skill that requires to be an amazing director. So mm. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather be a DP helping uh amazing directors than being a mediocre director myself yeah no i love that answer yeah i love that answer if there was one film you would give to someone to study from a a cinematography point of view do you have any that come to mind that you would advise like oh study this film if you really want to learn good lighting or good camera work i think you know the the best cinematography film ever produced was Apocalypse Now, you know? I, I think it has everything you need uh, from, a, from a visual standing, uh, standpoint uh, to, to, you know, to beat every other movie, you know? Because it's just, it has, he has color, he has movement, he has, the light is organic, the light also moves, the light is changing, it tells the story, it helps, helps the characters, you know? So, um, so it's like, there's no better description uh, for cinematography, what cinematography is than watching Estoraro uh, on Apocalypse Now, I believe, you know? Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not my favorite movie, but cinematography-wise, I it's still difficult to beat it. You know, right? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a hard choice yeah. to say. It's not a good one. Well, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, it's an amazing film. Well, this has been great. I've been loved talking to you. The movie was, um, uh, like like I said, beautifully shot. I love what you guys did with it, um, and I can't wait to see. Do you know what you do next? I don't know yet. No, no, I, I'm doing... Besides sh- moving? Yeah, no, I'm, yeah. I'm doing commercial shooting with amazing directors in yes. commercials right now, and I'm, and I'm looking for the next step, the next movie, the next, um, you know, the next thing that will excite me, you know, because that's part of our job, you know. It's like I need to get excited to, yeah. to do the movie. It's such a part of my life, and such a big part of my soul that goes in every movie that I, mm-hmm. I need to love it. From, from the bottom up, you know, I need to love every single thing of it, you know. So, um, so I'm looking for that. I'm looking to fall in love again. Yeah. You know, to to be to, to do a new movie, you know. So, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I can I can I cannot wait. I cannot wait to to fall in love again. Basically. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful feeling when you fall in love with a movie. I know. I know? love that feeling. Any kind of creative project I work on, where I'm just really passionate about it, and you just can't wait to get it's on that, again. Yeah, yeah I, I totally get that. Well, it's thank such you a so unique much. experience. Yes, yeah. it is. It is for sure. Well, I really appreciate thank this. Thank you. Good luck with thank your move. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And, um, and yeah, speak soon. Very yeah. soon. Take care. Take care. Thank Bye-bye. you. Ciao. Very cool interview. 
I want to thank Edu again for coming on. You can see more of his work at edugrau.com, E-D-U-G-R-A-U.com. There will be links in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in. In the last episode, I told you that I had a new podcast coming out, Dungeons and Durags. At the time, I said it was coming out on October 26th. It was supposed to, but it's late. This episode you listen to now is coming out on November 9th. Maybe it'll be launched by then, but uh, regardless, just be on the lookout for my new podcast, Dungeons and Durags. It's it's a fun podcast. Uh, in the meantime, Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media, and it's part of Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was written, produced, and edited, and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. Uh, be sure to look on the show notes for links to all the social media accounts for myself and for the website for Adu. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's just Blade Runner. That's Runner with an O. And you can follow Pro Video at Pro Video. You can follow me on Instagram at Blurred Runner. And uh, I think that's all I have to say. Remember, the story sucks. I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. See you in two weeks.